Father, uh, we do ask today as we get into your word, Lord, that God, you would just, you would speak to our hearts. I think this is a, a great section of scripture for us to pay attention to and, and to glean from for our own lives and our own situations that come up. I thank you, God, that things are recorded that are just kind of a normal, things that happen in life, things that happen in ministry. And you record them so that God will know what to do and, and we can even maybe even check ourselves. Maybe we're not doing things right and we need to change, we need to fix that. And I know by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change every single one of us. So I do pray that today we would not just hear with our ears, but we would hear with our hearts. And we would be changed and, and uh, Lord, we would be drawn closer to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we, we're in James, and James was talking about not showing favoritism, not showing partiality. And then also in that same thing, he was talking about if you break one of the laws, you break all of the law, even if you just break one. Interesting, now, we're coming back to Galatians on purpose because this is gonna be an example of not showing partiality. I think oftentimes we show partiality to people in Christian leadership. Sometimes it's out of fear of approaching them. Sometimes we think we're not supposed to. Or sometimes maybe we just admire somebody and we think we need to let it slide. Here's the great thing, man. Paul doesn't let things slide. And Paul didn't even let things slide with Peter. I love this passage because we're, we're having two giants of the faith here at kind of loggerheads and they have to deal with something. They've gotta be real about it, they gotta be honest about it, they gotta be open about it and they have to deal with it. And that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging for several ways. Number one, they're dealing with it. I think that's always healthy and good. But number two, it encourages me that even they mess up. I don't know about you guys, maybe you guys have a great walk and a perfect walk and you do things you know, that way, I don't. And so when I read that Peter messes up, I'm going, yes. Not that I'm glad he messes up, but you know what, we need to realize these men and women we read about in scripture, that's all they are as men and women just like us. And here now, we come into a situation where these guys are simply trying to do life and do church. And Peter's gonna, or Paul's gonna back up a little bit and talk about something that happened in Antioch. And I wanna remind us a little bit about Antioch. And you can read Acts like uh, around, well, you know what, you can read Acts 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, around in there, and kinda, and go ahead and read 15. But as, as you're looking through that, remember the church in Antioch exploded. And God was doing amazing work and that's when Barnabas went and got Saul and brought Saul, who later becomes Paul, brought him up there. And this church is a church that is just going guns, right? Everything, man, it's exploding. And it seems like Peter came up to check things out. And Peter wants to visit, hey, this is a Gentile church. Remember, it's a Gentile church, not the norm up to that point, especially for churches that are exploding, have been Jews 
turning to Christianity. Now all of a sudden you have this, this different work up in Syria and it's gotta be blowing people's mind. They gotta be, they're Instagramming it, it's you know, trending on Twitter and everybody's like excited. So Peter goes, I'm gonna go check this out. And he goes up and he checks it out. And it seems like when Peter got there, everything was great, man. He's fellowshipping like we should fellowship. I have the privilege of traveling around. A lot of you know I was just in Spain. And I met people I've never met before. And here's the crazy thing, man. When you're with the church and you meet people in the church, they're family. They're instant family. And you fellowship with them. You hang out with them. You eat with them. You have fun with them. You cry with them. And here's Peter. He's doing that. And then all of a sudden, something radically changes. And Paul has to rebuke Peter. That's intense. Now, here's what I know. It didn't ruin their relationship because later on we're going to read that in Peter, in 2 Peter, Peter writes about Paul and he writes a glowing thing about Paul. You can look that up. But he says great things about Paul. So we know this didn't ruin their relationship, but it could if one of us is stubborn or we don't handle conflict properly. So let's, let's kind of read this part and we'll, we'll come back to what's happening. Verse 11 says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, that's intense. What, what just that part that, that Paul is writing is intense. And he's going, here's Peter and everything was fine. We were eating together. We were enjoying things. You, you didn't draw lines and you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't make a difference between anybody. And then all of a sudden, some people showed up. Now, it says they were from James. I don't believe the way Paul's writing it. I don't believe Paul is telling us that James sent these guys up to spy on them to figure out what's going on. I think Paul is just giving us a reference. They're from the church in Jerusalem because we're gonna find out they're Judaizers and James wouldn't send them to try and, try and mess things up. But they came on their own. They show up and when these guys show up, Peter freaks out. Did you pick up on it? It was out of fear that Peter did what he did. Fearing that he's gonna lose his reputation. Fearing that he might lose a few friends. Fearing that people might look at him differently than they looked at him before. So now he acts out of fear and not faith. Saints, that's never good. Never good. Fear and faith do not mix together. And Peter, of all of the people, Peter, Peter to fumble at this point is to me ridiculous. But yet he has his fear. These guys, these are guys, man, they're out of, they're out of Jerusalem. And maybe his fear is, what are they going to go back and tell James? What, what, what are they going to say about me? And so he freaks out and he decides, listen how simple this is. Here's what he decides. I'm not going to eat with these guys anymore. Now we're going to get more into it, but that was the simple decision. I'm not gonna eat with these guys. Paul calls him out for acting on fear and then, did you pick up what Paul called this? Hypocrisy. 
Hey, Pete, can you imagine? Don't you think Paul called him Pete? I don't think he called him Peter. He said, hey, Pete, what on earth is the matter with you? What are you thinking? Now, again, I, I admire the fact that it tells us he withstood him to his face. Saints, in the church, too often, we withstand each other behind our backs. And we're out, you know, places, you, you get out in the parking lot and you start doing this. And the other person goes. And then the person that you're about walks up and you go. That's bad. If you have a problem with somebody, talk to that person. We're family, aren't we? Some of you are nodding. We are, whether you like it or not. I'm the weird uncle that comes to Thanksgiving. And we're family, and we gotta, we gotta talk to each other. And you have to admire the fact, hey, here's a, hey, like it or not, Peter was a huge, huge, huge authoritarian figure in the church. Huge. And he blows it in Paul, although Paul is still in the midst of his letter letting the Galatians know he had as much authority as everybody else. He's trying to get them to understand that. So here's what he says. I'm not afraid to rebuke Peter. And we shouldn't, listen, we should not be afraid to confront anybody in the right way. Your confrontation needs to be not confrontational, but it needs to be that you want to see somebody restored and changed and healed and you, you love them. You know, some people think you're not loving when you talk to somebody about something going on in their life, I think that's the most loving thing you can do if you really care about them. And I, I, I like the idea that he does that. You know, some of, our, some of our church culture teaches that you can never question people in authority. If you go to a church and they tell you that, you need to leave that church. I believe, listen, I believe everybody is accountable for what they do. And we're all in this together. We're family. And I hate it when I hear, you can't touch the Lord's anointed. That is, uh, that is using scripture, abusing scripture, ripping it out of context, etc. Hey, you can confront people if they're doing sin. And so Pete's doing sin. He's the big guy. Paul's kind of, and Paul comes up and he confronts him to his face about what he was doing. Now, here's the weird thing is Peter knew better. As I told you, you, you can start reading Acts in chapter 10. Do you remember what happened with Peter? Probably just maybe months before this. Do you remember he was in Joppa, hanging out at a tanner's house? Number one, I question that whole thing is bizarre. Like, what is a Jew doing at a tanner's house with a bunch of dead bodies or dead skins? Right, that's, that just like blows my mind and it's never addressed and I guess I'll have to ask Peter when I get to heaven. Dude, what on earth were you doing at a tanner's house? So that going on, but he's at the tanner's house. Remember he's up on the stair and God gives him a vision, lets down the sheet and tells him, hey, eat anything. And Peter goes, I'm a good Jew, I don't eat that stuff. And God does it three times and God finally reveals to him, hey, don't you call anything unclean that I've cleansed. And then he goes to Cornelius' house, right? And Cornelius is a Gentile, and a Gentile gets saved. So all of that, listen, all of that's already happened. And Peter shows up at Antioch, and he pulls this. This is, this is like Pete, come on. 
It is clear to you what you're supposed to do, but he does it. So, so after Acts 10 and 11, Pete does this, and then Paul now, he's kind of set the scene. Others were carried away. Oh, we, we do have to mention the fact that, aren't you kind of blown away in this, that even Barnabas was carried away? Saints, we need to know something. We, have, we influence other people. And some of us have larger spheres of influence than others, but all of us influence somebody. And the fact that Barnabas was drawn away into this, that's huge because Barnabas is the encourager. Do you think maybe, now I might be reading into this, probably am, but do you think this was maybe the beginning of the rift between Paul and Barnabas? Do you think this really hurt Paul to watch Barnabas cave in to what Peter was doing? And, and it started that, you know, you, you guys are familiar with the rift. If you're not, you gotta read Acts 15, 16, 17 and, and keep going. But hey, that rift happened and maybe this was the beginning. So all of that takes place and then, and then here's the issue. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, Underline that, listen. They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Listen carefully. This isn't a matter of eating or not eating. That's not the issue. That's just the outward manifestation. The issue is, is the gospel true or not, Pete? Because here's what Pete's saying. He's saying one thing with his mouth and he's doing another thing with his actions. He's saying the gospel is true and we're saved by grace. Now, by his actions, he's saying, but you really need to be a Jew before you become a Christian and you have to keep part of the law. And part of the law was you don't eat with Gentiles. They're dirty. You don't, you don't, even, you don't even go in most of their houses. And so here's what he's done. He's fallen back into the legalism, right? And you gotta... Paul's passion about the gospel. Why was Paul so passionate? Because this is the Gentile church. Do you understand what's going on here? Could split and damage the church forever? And someone has to take a stand. And here's what blows my mind. Paul took a stand in the first century. In the second century, someone else took a stand. In the third century, someone else took a stand. And in the fourth century, you guys know where I'm going? And here we are, 2020, and we need to take a stand. Either the gospel's true or it's not. You and I, you and I can't make truth. We can't make up truth. Groups of people cannot get together and decide what is true. Truth is truth. We don't make truth, we obey truth. And in our culture, in our generation, it's getting harder and harder to say this is truth because they will say, well, so-and-so says that's not truth. It doesn't matter what so-and-so says. It doesn't matter what the majority says. It doesn't matter if the whole world says it. Truth is still truth. And Paul is gonna take the stand on truth against Peter. That's huge. And he says, hey, here's the thing, man. They were, they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So he says, I said to Peter before them all. Now I believe from this to the end of this chapter is what Paul said to Peter. I think it's one long, you could say it's a dialogue, but it's more of a monologue. It's like, Peter, here's the deal. Here's what we need to understand. So here's what he said to Peter. 
I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, I'll break it up. But he starts out with, if you being a Jew, in the middle of verse 14, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? Here's the question, Peter, you're a Jew, but you've been living among the Gentiles. Now all of a sudden, you're telling the Gentiles they have to become Jews to be real Christians. That, and Peter's probably going, I never said that. No, you didn't say it, but you acted it. By your actions, that's what you're telling these people. Hey, saints, people, do you know people are watching you, especially if you tell them you're a Christian? I always encourage everybody, you know, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, whatever, you need to let people know you're a Christian for a couple reasons. One, they need to know that you're a believer and you, then maybe they'll come to you for something. Number two, they're gonna hold you accountable for your Christianity. I love it when the world like comes and says, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I am, why are you doing that? Because I sinned, that's why. And we should let people know we're Christians, right? so they can watch us. And here's Paul, Peter in the midst of a situation that people are watching him. And Paul's saying, Peter, it doesn't matter what you're talking. What matters is what you're doing. And they're watching you, Pete. Even Barney. They're watching, and he says, man, you were living as a Gentile. You were, you were hanging out with people. We were fellowshipping together. So obviously, James is telling us we shouldn't be prejudiced. And here's a way that Pete's being prejudiced against Gentiles. He said, what are you thinking? You're a Jew, and you're living like a Gentile. Now you're telling the Gentiles they gotta live like a Jew. Oh, he goes a little bit further then. He says, verse 15, we who, are, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now, I gotta explain something. He's not putting Gentiles down. That was just, he's, he's, it's an expression he's using that, you know, hey, they are there and as Jews, we know they're sinners. A little sarcasm, right? So he says, hey, we being Jews, we're by nature Jews, we're not sinner Gentiles. And then he says this, listen carefully to verse 16. Here's the crux of the issue. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. What word came up over and over and over again? Justified. What is Paul's problem? Paul's problem is Peter is annihilating the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He has just annihilated that and he's just throwing that out. And that is the hinge that we depend on as Christians. We are justified by faith alone. Nothing else. You can't add church membership to it. You can't add baptism to it. You can't add be reading your Bible to it. We are justified by faith alone. And here's what Peter just added to it. We're justified by faith and who we eat with and how we eat. And Christians, if we're really honest, we do that. 
We look at people and judge their spirituality about, we talked about it last week, maybe the way they're dressed, maybe how many piercings they have, maybe how much ink they have, maybe what color their skin is, maybe whatever, and we kind of have all of these things going on that we, we kind of look at, and, and that's horrible. And we talked about last week, we need, we need to own that, confess that, and get that out of our hearts, but even the bigger issue is, are you justified by faith alone? That is an issue that is, comes up over and over and over and over in this thing called the church. Every generation, every decade, every century, every millennium argues over this. Are we justified by faith alone? And saints, if we're not justified by faith alone, I don't know about you guys, but I know I'm in trouble. Because I'm not perfect. And I blow it. And I desperately need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me. And if God has not justified, and we need to understand, listen, God does not pardon us. If you're pardoned from something, you're still guilty of it, and you still gotta carry the weight of it. You're just not gonna be penalized for it. If you're justified, some say this, just as if I have never sinned. If you're justified, it's gone, it's wiped out, you're clean, and we're justified before God. The righteousness of Christ is upon us. And Paul is upset, and I don't blame him. When people pick on my salvation, I get real uptight. Sometimes I'm not even nice. I go after him. I go after him like a pit bull because it's my salvation. I know, I know, I need Jesus to get to heaven. So here's what he says. Pete, you know, of all the people to know, Who's this guy he's talking to? This is a guy, remember? Remember up at Caesarea Philippi, he's walking with Jesus, and Jesus say, said, who do men say that I am? This is a guy who said you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a guy who said, Jesus, let me come out of the boat and walk over there. Come on, Pete. Think of all those things and think of that intimacy that Peter had with Jesus and all of the good times and even the bad times. Hey, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. Not me, Lord, I'm the rock. Oh, you so are. Hey, Peter, John 21, let's get together on the shores of the Galilee and get this fixed. So imagine all of that and now all of a sudden, here's, here's what Paul's saying. You're denying everything about Jesus that you could deny. You talk about hitting someone in the heart, especially someone who walked with him and lived with him and ate with him. Man, it had to be huge. And he says, hey, you need to understand we are justified not by works of the law. No flesh will ever be justified by works. Pete knows that. He lived that. Paul knows that. He lived that. He goes, it'll never happen. We're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, period. So what are we doing here, Pete? So then he goes a little further, verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? Certainly not. But if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Here's what, you know, this is kind of a difficult, these two verses are kind of difficult, 17 and 18, or a little bit difficult. Some people say that he's talking about unbeliever. I don't think he is. I think, here's what I believe he's saying. Peter, we put faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Now, 
If we go back and try to make ourselves right before God by keeping some kind of law, we rebuild what we tore down. What did we tear down? We tore down that system, that legal system, because we know that no flesh is justified by works. We tore that down. Now we're building it back up, and here's what we're saying. Jesus caused us to sin because we're not keeping the law. Now imagine that hitting Peter between the eyes. That one had to go, because he would never dream of that. But that's what he's doing by not eating with the Gentiles. Something that simple. And oftentimes, saints, here's what I think. We do something so simple and we think it doesn't matter. It's not a moral issue. And all of a sudden it becomes one. We need to walk circumspectly. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? We need to watch our lives. And again, I know we're not perfect, but we need each other to call each other out. And when we call each other out, we need, to be, we need to be somebody, I'm calling you out because I love you and care for you. And he goes, Pete, that's what you're doing. And then again, I wanna read the end of, uh, I wanna read 18 again and then go into a section a lot of us have memorized. He says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. The law is the thing that kills us. We talked about last week, if you just break one, one tiny minutia of the law, you've broken the whole law. Now here's what I know, and this is a little judgmental of me on all of you. We don't even keep, you know, we talk about the 613, we talk about the 10, how about if we just boil it down to the two? How about just the one? How about just the one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You keeping that perfectly? Watch out. Don't nod. <laughs> and he says, come on, we know that the law, we know we can't do that. And the law kills us, and that's a good thing. And then, listen what he says. This is a verse a lot of people memorize, but I think we kind of take it out of context. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. Which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what he's saying. Pete, you know and I know the life we have right now and the fact that we're alive, we're alive in Christ. It's him living in us. You know, oftentimes people will say, are you trying to live the Christian life? You shouldn't be trying to live the Christian life. You should be allowing Christ to live in you and dwell in you. Let him change you. Those of you who got saved later in life, I got saved later in life. I tried to fix my life a couple times. I didn't do too good. So that's why maybe why I'm passionate. I know I desperately need Jesus because I did the other thing and it didn't work out well. And he says, hey, you need to know something. You are united with Christ and you're united with Christ in his death and you're united with him in his resurrection and it is Christ who lives in you and gives you that freedom now to be who he designed you to be. And you know what, Pete? You need to quit drawing lines. You need to quit getting all legalistic with these people because that stinks. And you're dragging them away. And bottom line, Pete, it's hypocrisy. And you need to stop it. And he gives them this great lesson on justification by faith alone. I love it. I love it because it's quick. 
Oh, and then he ends this section with this. If I do not set aside, or I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, period. And you and I need to understand that. Paul, later on in 1 Corinthians, you can read this for homework in chapter 15. Paul wrote about the death and the resurrection, and if it's not true, you and I, you and I are hopeless. And here he says, come on, Pete. Now, now, I believe that's the end of his quote. So I think his quote started up in verse 14. He says, if you being a Jew, and it ends here, and he lays all of this out, and he wants Peter to understand exactly what's going on. And you and I, listen, you and I need to understand we're either justified by faith alone or we're not. Both can't be true. You can't say it's faith plus, which, hey, some churches read their statement of faith, and they will add to that, or they will say this, you're justified by faith. And you go, what's wrong with that? There's a missing word, this word alone. Be careful when you read things, you're justified by faith alone, adding nothing to it. And so Paul takes this major stand. Now, now here's what I know. Paul took this stand, called out Pete, and I know it worked. How do I know? Because I read my Bible. In Acts chapter 15, which I believe Acts chapter 15 happened after this letter, but I know Acts chapter 15 happened after this encounter because this was in Antioch, not in Galatia. It was in Antioch. And here's what I know, read Acts chapter 15. Who's the one that takes the strongest stand for the Gentiles and for them to be saved by justified by faith alone? Pete. So you know it worked. So you gotta say hallelujah, right? What if Paul, what if Paul, it would have said, you know, man, it's Pete, and he's a big shot. And Pete's like up here, and I'm just, I'm just like a, you know, I'm a B-possel, not an A-possel. So, you know, whatever. And, he, and he's going, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't confront him because, because he's from Jerusalem. He walked with Jesus. I didn't really walk with Jesus. We spent three years together. But, you know, all of that. You know how the things go in our minds? Just like things, what happened? What happened to Peter? The guy shows up from James, and Peter starts letting his mind play with him. And then Peter does the wrong thing. Couldn't have Paul done the same thing? I really don't want to confront him. It's going to get sticky. We're buds. What if he gets mad at me? What if it doesn't work? And what would have happened? Here's, here's you know, I, I know it's just speculation, but what would have happened if, if Paul wouldn't have confronted Peter? I think we would have had the church of the Jews, Jewish Christians who were Jews before they were Christians, and they brought it in, and then we would have the church of the Gentiles, and never the twain shall meet. Or, or it would have been real simple. If you want to be a good Christian, you've got to do all of these Jewish things to become a good Christian. But because Paul took a stand, and here's what he said, we're justified by faith alone, Paul. You know it and I know it. And hey, he wasn't teaching Paul. He was reminding Paul, I mean Peter. He wasn't teaching him, he was reminding him. So you and I are at that place in John 19, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, what's the last word he said? It is finished. Done. The thing I love about Christianity is it's done. Religion says, go do. Christianity says, it's done. Put your faith in it, believe in it. 
And you and I, I believe, as I said, I believe we have a responsibility to this generation to hold on to this whole doctrine of justification by faith alone. And when we don't do that, we're gonna get in trouble. And I don't, care what you, I don't care what you put on there. Anything you add to that ruins and does damage to that doctrine. So let's be people who, hey, you know what? We're gonna take a stand. And having said that, I wanna, I wanna comment a couple things on conflict and conflict resolution. Number one, it should be face-to-face. You got an issue with somebody, go talk to them. And if they're a jerk, that's on them. But go talk to them. Say, hey, you know what? I got an issue and yada, yada, yada. Number two, if somebody approaches you, listen to them. I know that's the hard part. Somebody approaches you and if they have a problem and they start telling you the problem they have with you, generally, if you're like me, your mind starts defense, right? And you start building your defense and you're not listening. You got to shut your mind off and listen to them. Hear what they're saying. Get all of that straightened out. And then you know what? We're believers, let's work together and figure this out. And if you're wrong, say I'm sorry. It's one of the greatest, greatest words you can say to people. I'm sorry, I did that? What a dork. And then go on with life. I think that's what Pete did. Maybe he didn't use the word dork, but <laughs> Pete went, I can't believe. Can you imagine how he felt after he did that? Like, wow, what was I thinking? Well, I wasn't. I was operating in fear, not logic nor faith. So saints, receive it, and then I guess the last thing about conflict is then hug it out and let's go on. Like these two did. Paul defended this, and then, I mean, Pete defended this and later on writes about what a great guy Paul is. You and I, let's, Number one, though, be convinced. Justification by faith is worth fighting for. See, because there's a whole bunch of stuff about unity, and I think the church should be unified. But we don't need to be unified around false teachings. We need to be unified around the truth. And if we're not unified around the truth, we don't need to be unified. Truth matters and we need to take a stand. Let's stand up and pray.